But uh, she's healing. She's happy. She's uh, she. It's quicker. The morning was quicker. You know what I mean? The morning that oh, this is a drag. Why am I doing this again? That was a couple of days, but she's good now. So, so if you don't mind praying for her, the doc we saw Doc Tuesday. Doc said uh, no surgery if her bone mends on its own. Uh, if the bone doesn't mend on its own in a couple of weeks, then they got to take the plate out that they put in last year and replate the whole thing. So we're praying that don't happen and the bone mends. So if you remember, lift her up. We'd appreciate it. So we're in Isaiah 29. Uh, tonight, we'll take a look at it. Remember from, the, from Isaiah 1 to 39, it's like you have uh, a series of prophecies that's moving toward a, a uh, I don't know, proving of God's ability to deliver. So you have in the beginning God saying, okay, you know, um, we have problems. One of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible will tell us the truth about ourselves. Now, we don't always like the truth it tells us. I tell people all the time, the Bible's a mirror. If you look in the Bible and there's something you don't see, it's probably because there's dirt on your face. Or there's something that the Bible is saying that's talking to you. It's speaking to me, saying, hey, you know, here we have issues. First six chapters are, we have issues. God saying, the people, they're crooked, they're broken. There's things that they need to... To repent of. And so Isaiah tells us how that works. How does God's view of us and our reality, where do they come together? Well, they come together in Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. God meets him. God purges him, right? Purges him of his sin. Delivers him of of his brokenness. And now he's a usable vessel to go to the people, right? And then he goes to the people. And how do we get the nation from where it is now to where it ought to be. Well, the nation needs a king. So I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to, I'm going to send a child, right? All the prophecies speaking of the coming king, Messiah, Jesus Christ coming to deliver the people. And so you have these, all these prophecies leading to God saying to the nation, you need to trust me and not all this other stuff. I can deliver you. And when we get to like 30, I don't, I don't remember the number, 30 something, uh, we'll see God deliver Judah. From Assyria. God's going to do it. And then, so you're going to have this proof, right? This proof is being worked out in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. Hey, God is able to deliver his people. He's able to purge your sin. He's able to make your nation the way it wants to be. Okay? The next, the second half of the book is what happens when people are so stubborn they keep doing the same stuff over again. Anybody ever done that? Anybody here that will at least admit that they've committed the same sin more than one time? So, right, the nation of Israel, what do you think? Do they do the same thing more than one time? Yeah. Yeah, so you have deliverance in the first half. God's ability to deliver the people from wickedness. In the second half, you have God's delivering the people to judgment. And he tells us the truth. Why? Why? Because we don't learn in deliverance. We learn in judgment. Did you learn every time your parents didn't spank you? Or did you learn when the spanking came? Did you learn when there was no discipline? Or did you learn when discipline came? And the, the reality is, we may not like the truth, but that's the truth. Right? Well, how did I learn? 
I got two burns on my arms. I got one burn on this arm. It's, it's winter. So that means I'm doing fires, which I'm probably not qualified. I taught me to teach me how to do a fire. So I'm doing fires in the fireplace. And so I get, I don't know how to just do a fire, like for ambiance. I don't do that. I do a fire to make you want to take all your clothes off and sit in your underwear in the living room. So it's roast and fire, right? Well, so at some point, I'll grab another chunk of wood to throw in, open up the front of the fire and throw it in, and I'll touch the something you're not supposed to touch. How, how hard, how, you don't have to touch it very hard, right? It leaves a mark behind. I got two of them on my arms right now. You look at them and go, oh, Jackie's been doing fire. Look at him. <clears throat> we burn ourselves, and when we burn ourselves, we learn that's hot. What? Don't touch that. That's when we learn. And that's the truth about men. That's the truth about mankind. We learn. When we look back at history, what do you see? Does man continue to make the same mistakes? We keep thinking we can build a better mousetrap. We can make a better government. We have a better social system. Whatever the things are. Look, as long as what you begin with is crooked, what you end with is going to be crooked too. You know? Power does what? Corrupts. But not not good people, right? No, it corrupts everybody. It corrupts everybody. So it's in the discipline. It's in the judgment. And, and then at the end, every time, God never talks about His judgment. He never talks about the things that are coming as, as a, um, without giving also the opportunity for redemption. That's what God does. God redeems us and we're a mess. And so sometimes he delivers us and we'll celebrate that deliverance, but we learn more in the judgment. And in the midst of the judgment, that's when he gives us Isaiah 53 and he says, you guys keep bouncing around this same thing, but one day I'm going to send my servant who will take your sin upon himself. That's Isaiah 53. And he will deliver his people from their sin. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? So it goes all the way back. How does... How does broken man become the right man? He meets the Lord and the Lord forgives him of his sins. How does a broken nation become the right nation? They submit to the Lord and the Lord forgives them of their sin. But we struggle and keep doing the same things wrong over and over again. So God's going to send himself, right? The, the lamb. So that we can be saved from our sin. The whole book of Isaiah just kind of going along that story bringing us through the 66 chapter. So <clears throat> tonight in chapter 29, we have a woe or distress to the city of David, to David's city. And the idea that God's touching on in chapter 29 <clears throat> is an idea that people still struggle with today. And that is my religious observance saves me. I can go through the, give me the, the ticket and I'll punch it. Do you go to church this week? Click. Do you go to church twice, you get two clicks. Click, click. You went to church twice and went to a Bible study. That's three clicks. Click, click, click. Man, I'm good. And and what the Lord is saying in, in Isaiah 29 is, look, your your religious observance, the putting on the nice clothes and, and doing all those things, that, that, only, that only functions if you're in pursuit of a relationship, right? If it's just, I'm punching a card, you might as well stay home and... Stay home and watch Netflix. You did what to who? Yep, that's good news, right? Or it's not good news? 
It's good news. All right, so we look at verse 1. He says, Ah, oh, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Now, the first thing we got to do is, Ariel? I've never heard of that before. Ariel, Ariel, what's that mean? Well, the word Ariel um, basically means altar or the place of sacrifice. So, he's, you know, ultimately the reference is to Jerusalem and the city of David. Uh, but the, the uh, word used is going to describe, it's a word that describes the place where you go to perform religious duty. You guys with me? So, so he says, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped on a year by year, let the feast run their round. So he's saying, the idea is, okay, here, it's, if, if you took Ariel, Ariel and said, church, church, be the same kind of idea. Where do you go for religious observance? Well, they went to the altar, right? They brought a sacrifice. When we talk about the altar, you know, when people come up to forward to the, to the stage to pray, same thing. Another way of saying that is to use the word Ariel. Ariel. What's the idea? Well, their pride was in, hey, this is the city of David. You know, remember David? Woo! And they're rooting for the good king. Now, when Isaiah is talking about this, David been in the ground a long time. But they are rooting for the last good king. You know, our last good king. That was David. David. Nobody goes, Solomon, Solomon, right? Because there was a lot of wealth and prosperity, but it wasn't really good. But David, that was good. So they go back and they remember David, their pride in the past and what had been. But they're just marking, uh, marching in place, right? They're just punching their card. In verse 2, Yet I will distress Ariel, and there will be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. So Ariel, right, is the altar. So, so he, he's calling Jerusalem, this is the altar, and this is where all the people come to, to practice their religion. But, you know, there's many times where God says to the people, stop bringing me your sacrifices. I don't want them no more. Because all you're doing is just killing an animal and throwing it up on a, on a barbecue and it, you, you're not thinking about any of it. You're not here to, for me. You're not here to, to seek me. Nobody wants a relationship that's like that, do you? Is that how you want your husband, your wife, your future husband or wife, or boyfriend, or is that how you want your kids to think of you? Well, I, I've got to fulfill my obligation, but I don't really care. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants that relationship to be real. God's no different. So he says, I'm going to make the altar an altar. I'm going to make it a place of sacrifice. He says, I will encamp all around you. <clears throat> and I will besiege you with towers. And I will rage siege works against you. So this is how Assyria fought. So God is saying to Judah, look, you, you're not really there and you're not really seeking me. But when Assyria comes and encamps all around you, that's when the altar is going to become the altar again. When we read about it in the 30s, in the, in the 30s in Isaiah, you're going to hear about King Hezekiah falling before the altar of God and, and asking for God's deliverance. That's different, right, than just marking time, just showing up, just sitting. How many people do you know that in the midst of some very hard things in life, they really connected with the Lord? Like, when they got cancer or when they when they got sick or when they went through hard stuff 
Because look, hard stuff's going to do one of two things, right? You're either going to run away from God because you're mad at God because He let hard stuff come into your life, or you're going to run to God because you need Him to be your strength to go through the hard stuff. Now, it wasn't the hard stuff. Here's the trick. It wasn't the hard stuff that changed your direction. It was the hard stuff that revealed where you were before the hard stuff ever came. You get what I mean? The people who turn to God in their sickness, who turn to God in their suffering, they've been people who were pursuing God. And so God's showing them where they are. Okay, this thing comes into our life. Uh, we're surrounded. The enemy builds up his siege works. We're afraid what's going to happen. And, and the people who are following God, that's where they're going to go. But what God wants to reveal both hearts. He wants to reveal those who are in the right place. See, look. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but there our relationship becomes personal. But he also wants to reveal the heart of the one who's not really there. Because as soon as the bad stuff comes, they get mad at God, they run away from God, they go somewhere else. That's not a new thing that came into their heart. That's not, I don't care what they say, that's not, well, I'm mad at God. You were mad at God before that ever happened. Now God is showing you that that's in your heart. Now you have a choice, right? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? The cornerstone, you either fall on it or what happens? Or it falls on you. One or the other, right? You either choose to receive Jesus Christ or you get judged by Jesus Christ. That's your two choices. Despite your feelings or anger or whatever struggles we're going through, that's just truth, right? So God says, I'm going to build the walls around you and these things are going to come Forward, they're going to be revealed, and you will be brought low. Verse 4, from the earth you will speak. From the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. From the dust, of, uh, And from the dust your speech will whisper. So before that, there's a lot of pride, right? It's the idea that a lot of people talk the talk. Right? There's a difference between talking the talk and being who you are supposed to be, right? So this is the idea that people are are not talking the talk. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring you low. I'm going to bring your proud speech low. You talk like you know what's up, but look, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you who you really are. That's what looking in the mirror of God's word is all about. Uh, a lot of times people get disappointed about a lot of things, okay? Um, uh, uh, a preacher fails, has a moral failure, and he falls, and and people are, oh, you know, look, the moral failure didn't just happen. The moral failure been there a long time. God made that stuff come out. God's showing that preacher, dude, you, you turned your heart away from me, you know, 15 years ago. This is not new. Nothing, nothing is new. There's no such thing as, oh, I just all of a sudden started feeling one way today. No, you didn't. You've been taking this journey a long time. Now, it's harvest time. That's the difference. That's when the fruit becomes obvious. So, God's saying, look, I'm going to bring, I'm going to, all this is going to happen. And all that proud speech about, I trust the Lord and we're good. And then when the, when it turns bad and the armies are encamped around you, your speech is going to be, you're finally going to hear the real in your speech, not, not the fake. Right, you're gonna you're gonna hear the real. Your your speech will be humbled. 
you'll be speaking from the dust. Why? Because when really when hard things happen, most of the time our face ends up in the dirt. Not because God wants to knock your face in the dirt. That's just what happens. We get low. We get down. There's nothing wrong with that. God doesn't pretend it's not, it's not going to happen. But he says, but the multitude of your foreign foes will be like small dust, a multitude of ruthless, like passing uh, chaff. And in, an, and in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord. So he's saying, you're going to have all this bad stuff around you, and everything's going to look bad, and you're going to be down in the dirt, and you're going to come face to face with who you really are in the midst of all the stuff going on. You're going to see the truth of who you are in that moment, and it's going to look like the enemies are so big, and it's going to look like, but God says, but your enemies are just chaff. So all that God really ever has to do is blow and they're all gone. He says, all these things are going to be around you. And suddenly you'll be visited by the Lord of hosts. The thunder and earthquake and great noise, the whirlwind, <coughs> tempest, and a flame of devouring fire. So God's like, look, all this is going on, but I'm still on the throne. I'm still here. But I want you to see who you are. Because Isaiah 6 can't happen if you don't. What does everybody love about Isaiah 6? They love when Isaiah looks at God and says, Woe is me. I'm a mess, God. What can you do to help me out? And God says, Here, let me help you. That moment can't happen if you're never surrounded by the enemy. That moment can't happen if you're not facing difficult things. When we do all the wrong stuff when we run away from God, when we go and do something else because we're disappointed in, you know, you call the disappointment whatever you want. People disappoint me. Uh, things disappoint me. Churches disappoint me. Yeah. Just remember, when all those things are disappointing, you're, you're in there somewhere. Because we all have the same condition. We all have to come, we all have to see the mirror. And so in the trial, in the encampment of the enemy, I get to see who I am. Oh my gosh, I always was hoping I would be in the Marine Corps. <clears throat> We'd always tell stories about guys who won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Because really, if you're an enlisted guy in the Marine Corps, what you want is to make an officer salute you. Oh man. I hated saluting. It drove me crazy. I'd, I'd walk an extra two miles just so I didn't have to walk past an officer. Because of just the idea that he, if I don't salute him, he's going to yell at me. Hey! Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, sir. I forgot to salute you, dirty. I got that rebellious thing in me. So I want to I win the Congressional Medal of Honor. Because if you, as an enlisted guy, got the Congressional Medal of Honor, everybody in the United States has to salute you. Including the guy at the top of the chain. Everybody. You wear that, you're it. So you want to win it. How do you win it? Well, when there's a battle, you show yourself brave. There's stories about guys, then the miss, most of the guys that get it are dead. So they're not really getting saluted. But you, but you have the dream, right? So you, they're the guys who, you know, a mortar goes off and it blows off both their legs. 
And so they run on the stumps of their legs to get over to the machine gun nest to fight off the enemy. And while they're fighting off the enemy, they bleed out. But because of what they did, they save all their buddies. Or the guy who jumps on a grenade, right, and is blown up. But he saves all the guys in the circle. And you say, I'm going to be that guy, I'm going to be that guy, I'm going to be that guy. How do you know you're that guy? Your talk doesn't make you the guy. What makes you that guy? Yeah, all of a sudden you're standing there and a grenade lands in the middle and you find out who you are. Right? There's a reason there's not very many Congressional Medal of Honor. Because there's not, not everybody jumps on a grenade. Now, is that so I think bad about myself? No, so I think real. So if I'm not who I want to be, then I need to go to the Lord and say, God, make me who... That's Isaiah 6. God, make me who I need to be. Make me who I need to be. Because in Christ, I can jump on a grenade. If Christ is there, if Christ... If that's where God wants me, right? Then it's not me relying on me. It's me relying on the Lord to be the man or the woman or the father or the mother or the child that God wants me to be. That's how I'm going to accomplish those things. Because I finally am trusting in Him. Isaiah goes on in verse 7. It says, The multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel. Remember Ariel? That's the altar. All that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her will be like a dream. So it's going to be short, right? All the people who who are, uh, um, you know, we have our surrounding of the enemies. That's short. That's a short time. And he says, it's going to be like a dream. One day you'll say, man, did I dream all that? Anybody ever experienced that? You know, wow. Somehow the things I thought I would never get through. All I know, me and Kathy went through a lot of stuff when we were kids. So like, there's not too many big things for us anymore. You know, after the whole HIV deal, it was like, um, yeah, this is, this is not that big. This is a broken arm. We'll survive. Yeah, there because we've been through. And when we look back, it seems like a dream, but yeah, that stuff really happened. That those things really went on. It's like a vision in the night, like when a hungry man dreams he's eating. Oh, you ever dream you're eating and woke up full? Uh, that's never happened to me. I dreamed I was eating and woke up and went and ate, but I never dreamed I was eating and said, "Oh, I'm full," right? Or or the guy who dreams he's thirsty and he's drinking and wakes up and he's not thirsty anymore. Nope, but I woke up and said, man, I'm thirsty. Got to go get a drink. So will the multitude of the nations be that fight against Zion. Look, they're not going to find satisfaction. It'll be like a dream. Oh, this is going to be so great. We're going to conquer these people. But God says, it's not going to last. No trial lasts forever. None. And the enemies that are coming against you are like a dream. They're just going to fade away in the vision. So the key is, in the middle of the fire, will we recognize what we saw there? Who we saw there? Will we know who we were? And will we do what Isaiah did? Woe is me. Or will we do what so many people do and say, oh no, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. It's all good. It's all all right. So God says in verse 9, Astonish yourself and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk and not with wine. Stagger 
but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out against you a spirit of deep sleep and closed your eyes. In parentheses, what's it say? The prophets. What's the role of the prophet? Here's another one. What's the role of the preacher? It's not to have entertaining stories and tell people, you know, things that that excite them, make them feel good. What was the role of the prophet? The role of the prophet was to go before the people and tell the people, hey, repent, get your lives right. Look at what's happening in your life. Look at what's happening in our nation. Look at what's going on. Pay attention to these things. Respond to the call of God. But God's saying, I make you blind. How? I'm not going to be in the prophets anymore. So Israel went 400 years without a prophet. And the argument could be made, we're, we're going through a period of time with no preacher. Because some preachers just want to tell you, they want to preach out of the newspaper. They want to preach politics. And I'm not saying not to be involved in those things, but life is more than all that stuff, isn't it? I, I, I've said it before, all our politics are broke. All them politicians are liars. So what we want to do when we think about all that stuff, what we want to do is recognize, hey, okay, well, what's God telling me? He says, I'm going to blind your eyes. I'm not going to give you prophets. <clears throat> and, and I'm going to cover your heads. I'm, I'm not going to give you seers. The Bible says, my people perish without a vision. What was the point of the prophet? To bring the vision so the people would see the vision. What was the point of the seer? To provide vision for the people. Make your vision clear, it says in Habakkuk, so that the people can run with it. So this is the role, right? This is what we want to do as prophets. Uh, uh, this is what we want to see as seers. But God's saying, look, you're just drawing near me with your lips. It's none of it's real. So you don't have those things. It says the vision of all this has become to you like words in a book that are sealed. Paul said it like this, the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit. Isaiah said it like this, you come to the book like you can't read it. Ever heard those things? Ever said those things? You come to the book like you can't read it. Like it's sealed when men give it to one who can read saying, read this. And he says, I cannot for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. What's the end result? Nobody's reading. Nobody's hearing. Nobody's seeing. We're losing the vision. We're losing the connection to the Lord. We're finding ourselves wandering. We're starting to paint a picture for us. We're running around naked and saying, the imp, only the wise can see our clothes. And it takes a little child to come alongside and say, look, the emperor, he's naked. Yeah, he is kind of naked, isn't he? Yeah. Crazy people. What's What's the point of the story? The emperor has no clothes. The point of the story is we're broken. And we go to God and God is the one who makes us whole. We're naked. God's the one who clothes us. What's he clothe us in? His righteousness. We're blind. We can't see. Who makes us, who gives us sight? Well, it's the Lord that gives us sight, right? Didn't, that's why Jesus healed the blind. That's why Jesus touched them. So we want to recognize all of these things that are going on. We want to go, man, what is, what is the point of it all? The point is, all those things are, are telling us we go to the Lord for that. Because I can't see without Him. 
I, how many times the Bible say, let him with eyes see? Let him who has ears hear. What's my, where's my ability to see come from? The Lord. How about my ability to hear? From the Lord. God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. You think that God hears that prayer and says, nope, yeah, you're on your own. No, I think God wants to hear that prayer. He wants to have us say, Lord, help me see. Help me understand. So what is it that God is looking for? Is it, is it this religious rote? What is it that God's looking for? Micah 6, verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I become for Him, or shall I come before Him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Is that what God wants, the, the religious part, the sacrifice? And is that what the Lord is looking for? Will the Lord be pleased if I give Him a thousand, thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? <clears throat> Does God want me to kill my child? The fruit of my, of my body for the sin of my soul. It says, He has told you, O oh man, what He wants. What is good and what the Lord requires. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly before your God. That's what God wants. The, all the other stuff... Hey, the reason we gather together for church is so that we can hear the word of God. So that we can go into God's word and be challenged by what God's word says. And then walk out having looked at ourselves in the mirror and and having examined ourselves. And now we're ready for the next couple of days before the next time we do it. Right? Because every one of us takes a shower more than, than once a week or once a month. Right? So if we're doing that. That's why we come to the Word of God. We come to the Word of God to say, I need the Word of God to what? Wash me. Cleanse me. Prepare me for what is I'm going to face tomorrow. So God wants them to know, look, I don't want hypocritical religion, right? I want truth. I want truth. The Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. For the fear of me is a commandment taught by men. That means you don't really have it. You're told to have it, but you don't, you don't really have it. <clears throat> the fear of God is that idea of coming to God in humble submission. It's the thing we talk about bowing the knee. It's, it's, it's looking up the, the, the way people fear the king, right? When there was a king, how do you fear the king? When you got into his presence, what did you do? You bow down. But man gets kind of proud, don't he? Oh, I won't bow. We like movies like that. I'm not going to bow. You can't make me bow. Everybody can be made to bow. (laughs) But you know you're supposed to have the fear of the king, but you don't have it. You know you're supposed to have the fear of the Lord, but you have it when you bow the knee before God. When you say you're God and, and I'm not and I need you. I need a touch from you. Jesus talks about in Matthew 15. He answered, he's talking to the Pharisees. It says, he answered them and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded you, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. So God's saying, honor your father and mother. By the way, that's not a command that has an end date. Right? Is there a point when your father's not your father anymore? If there's a point where your father's not your father, your mother's not your mother, then you don't have to honor them. 
<clears throat> doesn't say obey. What's it say? Honor. 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 Honor your mother and father. If anyone tells his father and mother, what, what uh, you would have gained from me is given to God, then he doesn't have to honor his father. So in those days, you took care of your parents. It's kind of supposed to do that still, aren't we? You took care of your parents. And so, but, but if you said, oh, everything I was going to use to take care of you, I've given to God, then you didn't, have to, you didn't have to honor them. You didn't have to help them. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Listen, well did Isaiah say, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah, you say you're giving it all to God, but God's saying, you ain't give, here's how you give it to me. Honor your mom and dad. Uh, does God need your stuff? No. He don't need it. He wants you to realize you don't need it either. But we're pretty sure we need it. Right? Well, I don't know, God. If I don't have it, what am I supposed to do? God says, well, le- learn. Learn what you do if you don't have it. Learn what you do when, when I am the position of honor and not your stuff. Learn about God's ability to deliver. That's where truth is. Not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Why did Ananias and, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they die because they lie about what they gave the Lord. Why? Because God wanted their stuff. God never commanded them to sell anything and give it to him. <clears throat> Why did they die? Because they lie to God. The point of that, what's the point of that story? If God, if God killed everybody who lied to him, we'd all be dead. What is the point of the story? Look in the mirror. We're Ananias and Sapphira. We lie to God. God says, I don't want your hypocrisy. I don't want your fake. I want your real. Who are you really? That's how I want you to come to me. Come to me as who you are really. I'm broken. I am a sinner and I need you, God, day by day to make me the man I need to be. That's relational. That's honoring God. How do I know I honor God? Then I do what he says. How do I know God's your king? How do I know the president's your president? You do what he says. How do I know the king's your king? You do what he says. How do I know God's your king? I do what he says. So we don't have to argue, well, well don't, don't worry. Let's just skip all the things we wonder about and do the ones we don't wonder about. Huh? Here's one. Thou shalt not lie. What? We don't need any special declaration of that, do we? Does everybody know what lie is? Okay. Then we know how to, we know how to do that, right? Why is it the first thing that pops into my mouth is a lie? You ever ask yourself that? Well, I'll help you. I'll tell you why it is for me. Because I'm a liar. And in order to tell the truth, I need to rely on God. Because if I rely on me, I will lie. I don't know why. You all do it. You've all had somebody call you in the morning and say, did I just wake you up? And we'll go, oh, no, no sound like a frog i've been awake for hours no 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 you didn't wake me up why why does a lie spring to our lips because we're liars that's why god gave us the law 
What's the point? What was the point of the law? To show me. Oh yeah, look, I'm a mess. So what do I do about it? Don't pretend. Go to the Lord and say, God, help me tell the truth. Does God want us to tell the truth? He says, yeah, speak the truth in love. It's all over the pages of scripture. Don't worry about the stuff you don't understand. Well, I don't know. I don't know really what God wants me to do. If God wants me to tithe or if God wants me to give, give hilariously. Well, then don't worry about that part. Worry about the ones you do know. Yeah? We do know. We do know. There's a, a bill going up in Idaho, <coughs> as a side note, that is going to call abortion what we know it is. So it's going to define abortion as murder. Everybody knows that's what it is. That's why they say the fetus is not a being. Because you can't murder something that's not real. But everybody knows what it is. We don't want to call it what it is, because if we call it what it is, then we have to look in the mirror at what we've done. So there's a bill on the floor for Idaho. You can actually go to Eastside uh, uh, Baptist Church. Is that right, Bill? Eastside Baptist Church. Their website, you can sign a petition right now that, that they're going to deliver to the, the members of uh, state uh, representatives to say, hey, this is we're in support of this bill. Now, some people say, oh, man, you shouldn't do that. We should, you know, we should not be too judgmental. What, do we not know what God said about murder? What did he say about murder? Thou shalt what? Oh, that's crazy, huh? So we know we're not supposed to do it, but what do we know? We're murderers. We're murderers. I told somebody one time that all the horrible atrocities you've ever seen someone else do that you thought, wow, that's such a horrible thing. I said, you would do it. No, I wouldn't. Well, then read Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy 24, 28, lays out the idea that uh, the most innocent among you, the most innocent woman among you is going to eat her children. Oh, I would never do that. That's what they said too. And then they did. So the reality is, what is it that God's law tells me? God's law tells me I am a murderer. God's law tells me I am a liar. God's law tells me these things. And the, the result, what God wants, is not me to stand in front of him and say, no, no, I'm the one exception to the rule. God wants me to stand in front of him and say, yes, I am these things. Like Isaiah in chapter 6. And what God will do is forgive me. I can't, he can't forgive somebody who pretends he doesn't have any of those things. Yeah, I don't have to be a murderer forever. Once I confess it to the Lord, then God forgives me. We move on, right? We move forward. We go on. And this is what God wants to do for our nation. This is what God wants to do for these people. But the nation, at their time, the blood of the innocent was crying out from the ground. And God had to <coughs> has to respond. And in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, the martyrs from beneath the altar cry out to the Lord, how long, O oh God, until you will vindicate us? 20th century is the bloodiest century in the history of man. We're not getting better. We're getting better at killing each other. Right? Mao Zedong killed 100 million people. Stalin killed pretty close to that number. Uh, Hitler's the junior 
You know, he got six. That's the 20th century. And that's just three people. That's not all of them. That doesn't even take into consideration the others. And for Stalin and Mao Zedong, who were they killing? Well, they're wiping out religion. Who are they killing? They're getting rid of all that. They're purging the church. They're purging people who think differently from them. Who are they killing? Who's the voices crying out from under the altar? How long, oh God? A little longer. But I promise you, vindication will come. Until that time, God sets a mirror in front of man. And he says, every man who will look in that mirror and tell me the truth about who he is, I'll forgive him. Isn't that good news? Everyone who will stand in front of that mirror and, and not don't tell me a lie. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth about what springs to your lips. Tell me the truth about what's in your heart. Tell me the truth about who you are. That's what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner, God. I'm broken. What did God do? He forgave him. What's he going to do for the nation? One day the nation's going to bow before the Lord. And God's going to say, all of Israel shall be saved. <clears throat> One day they'll bow. If, is that just Israel? What, what if the United States bowed? What will God do? Yeah, he won't save them. You're dirty Gentiles. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you call in the name of the Lord, what? You shall be saved. You bow the knee, you shall what? You'll be saved. You tell God, you look in the mirror and you tell God the truth. And God says, I'll save you. I'll save you. That's what Isaiah 29 is building to. He says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with his people. Wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish. And the discernment of their discerning men will be hidden. That means the, the Bible talks about the idea that the wise become a fool. Why? How does a wise become a fool? Because he says in his heart, what? There is no God. We got wise people who say that? God says, well, one day when I stand in front of them, the wise people aren't going to be so wise. Will we tell the truth? When we look in the mirror, ah, he says in verse 15, you, you hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark. And who says, who sees us? Who knows us? What's God saying? I know you. Don't lie to me. I once sat in front of my teenage son who through a miracle of God, <clears throat> I happened to know everything he had done in the last 48 hours. He was in high school. And I sat in front of him and I said these, these words, son, I know everything. It wasn't one of those, son, I know everything speeches. It was, I'm telling you, I know everything you did. But I'm going to give you one chance to tell me the truth. Now you're facing, does dad really know or not? And I knew. I really knew. So I said, I give you, I'll give you one chance to tell me the truth. And he lied. I, I put the mirror up in front of him after, right after he lied. And I told him everything he did. And he knew. Hung his head, hoping to hope that I didn't really know. This is what God's doing to his people. I know what's in your heart. 
You're not hiding it from me. You can hide it from your neighbor. You can mow the lawn. You can pull the weeds. Your yard can look all perfect. Your marriage can look all perfect. Your kids can look all perfect. But God's saying, I know what's in your heart. Will you look in the mirror and tell the truth? Will you look in the mirror and say, this is who I am. And I need you, Lord. I need you. This is what he's calling his nation. (coughs) You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? God's saying, you remember I made you, right? The thing that uh, is made should say of its maker, he didn't make me. Does that mean he didn't make you? No, that just means you're being a knucklehead. Or the thing formed of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon will be turned into a fruitful field? This is God telling the future about his people. And the fruitful field will be regarded as a forest. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the book. That's the book nobody could understand. What did he say? Who will hear it? The deaf, right? The deaf will hear the words. And out of their gloom, the darkness of the eyes, the blind will see. When Jesus came, what did he do? He healed the blind and he healed the deaf. Why? So that we would all look to the Lord to heal our illness. Or did he do it symbolically to say, you guys can't hear and you guys can't see, but I can open your eyes and I can open your ears. Is this the message that God sent? One day the deaf are going to hear the words of the book. So Jesus comes and he opens their ears and the deaf can hear what he taught. But then he would still say, let him who has ears, what? Let him hear. Let him hear. Let him who has eyes, let him see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among all mankind will exult in the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel is Jesus. Who exulted in Jesus when he came? The poor. In fact, the, the other people said, man, look at all these dirty people hanging around Jesus. How come he, how come he doesn't call the mighty? Because he wants the meek. He doesn't want the proud. He wants the person willing to say, look in the mirror and say, Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, you know I'm a mess. You, you took me from the streets. You took me from where I was selling drugs or where I did this or that. You know who I am. Those people acknowledge who they are. And this is God's looking ahead and telling his people, this is going to happen. And you and I, we know it happened. We know these things came. Verse 20 For the ruthless will come to nothing. The scoffer will cease. All who watch to do evil will be cut off. God will judge it. Who by a word make a man out to be an offender. Lay a snare for him and reproves at the gate. With an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. The ruthless and the scoffer are quick to evil. They're liars, they're betrayers, and they're wicked judges. And if they'll stand in front of the mirror and say that's who they are, God can purge them. But if they stand in front of the mirror and they don't, then they'll stand in front of the judge, the righteous judge. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? He was a liar. Right? For sure. He lied twice about his wife. She's my sister. She's my sister. It just sprang right to his lips, right? But what did God say? God doesn't say, Abraham, that dirty liar. What's he say? I redeemed Abraham. Why? Because Abraham told me the truth about who he was. Abraham said, Lord. And God said, here I am. Here I am. 
Concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob will no more be ashamed. No more will his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob. They'll stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. Those who murmur will accept instruction. Every time God talks about judgment, He talks about redemption. He talks about restoration. Nobody has to go to any of that. Does, it, does everybody have to stand in judgment before the great white throne? No. Only the unrighteous dead. You don't have to be the unrighteous dead. How does the unrighteous dead become the righteous dead? They call on the name of the Lord. And they say, God, I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a murderer. If I haven't done it with my hands, I've thought it in my heart. And if I thought it in my heart, all I needed was opportunity. I just didn't have it yet. We come to God that way. We, we see the armies encamped around us. We see the circumstances in our life and we in humility bow before God and he will make us who we need to be. <clears throat> and then the good news of the gospel is to go to people and say, look, I know what you did. I know what you're doing. I know what you've done. And I want to tell you, God wants to forgive you. All you have to do is stand in front of God and be honest with him. Yeah, I did it. Sometimes we want to hide, right? We want to look at the mirror and say, no, something wrong with the mirror. That's not really me. But that's really us. God says, I want honesty, truthfulness. I don't want hypocrisy. Don't pretend you're somebody you're not. Just come to me and let me make you who you want to be. We all want to be the hero in the story. Nobody says, you know what? I want to be the little the wicked guy who, who gets defeated in the end. That's my goal. No. Even when kids play cops and robbers, the robbers somehow have honor. Right? And the cops are dirty. If you're a robber, the cops are dirty. If you're a cop, the robbers are dirty. Right? That's because we have a desire to be honorable. We have this thing put in us, this image of God that says, my life's out of balance with who I am. And God is saying, I can put you in balance. Just come to me. Come to me. I can make you the man or woman you want to be. Come to me. I can make you the nation you want to be. Trust in me. I can deliver you. But sometimes my deliverance is going to come through judgment. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Thanks for the opportunity to come before you to celebrate who you are. God, I pray that we just realize, Lord, your word tells us the truth about who we are, what's going on, what's happening in our hearts, what's in our lives. But God, at the same time that your word tells us the truth, you always tell us. So come to me, turn to me. Seek me and you'll find me. God knows everyone who's ever wanted him, who's ever looked for him. And God somehow, somewhere, sometime has met him on the road and stood in front of him, the perfect man, the perfect God in the mirror. And when we look at the two, we say, man, I don't look like you.
I look like something else altogether. But if, like Isaiah, we say, woe is me, God says, I I can forgive you. He purges our sin. And then he says, will you go tell my people? Because they can't see it. Will you go tell my people? They're not listening. Their eyes are blind and their ears are plugged. So we pray, God, give them eyes to see. Give them ears to hear because that's what you do. You open up the, the ears of the deaf. You open up the eyes of the blind. And no man is more blind than the one who says, I see. No one is more deaf than the one who says, I hear. It's the one who tells the truth in front of the mirror. He doesn't let the lie spring to his lip. But bows a knee to his king and says, I need you. So God, I pray, Lord, you work in and through us. Give us the heart that you're calling us to have so that we can be the men and women that you're calling us to be so that we can take that message to a world that's perishing. So we can say to the to the young mother who's hopeless and looking for an abortion that, that God has better for her. She doesn't have to do that. So that we can look at the one who already has and we can say God can forgive you. God wants to forgive you. I know. I'm a murderer too. God, I pray that you just help us to take the truth of who you are to a world that doesn't, won't be honest with what they see. And God, you begin to do a work because you are able to redeem everybody who will come. So we pray, Lord, that you do a work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.